Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is the sixth day of camp practice. Tomorrow we have off. Be back at it again on Thursday and also the first day of games, Browns and Jets, the Hall of Fame game. Got a lot of good work in on this Tuesday, both in the indoor and outdoor practice fields as the weather pushed us inside at the very end, although it was also kind of nice to have that weather because it was cooler out and we had a good breeze all day. We also had a 1927 Yankees lineup of heavy hitters for media. Tua, Tstead, Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Ogba, Deshaun Elliott will break down a sharp day from the offense, visit Chris Greer's serious radio interview, and much, much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Lots and lots of first downs to be had at today's practice. But before we get started on that practice, I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to hear Chris Greer on Sirius XM NFL show the other day, but I wanted to lead with this because as you daily diehards of Drive Time know, of the three, four, maybe nine themes that I've been on about all summer long. One of my favorites is the type of roster they're building down here in terms of character. And obviously it's a loaded roster that feels like it can really make some noise this year. We hear from pretty much anybody and everybody who does, you know, summer projections and predictions of how each roster stacks up. They all feel as if as though this roster is going to make quite a run this year. But one element that you can never gauge on paper, and I think is probably the most overlooked aspect in any sport, you know, professionally or otherwise across the country, is the chemistry and how a team works together and how they can overcome adversity together. And obviously that was a big part of the 2023 or 2022 season rather. But in this interview, Greer talked about reaching out to Tyreek about the Eli Apple edition and how roster building is not, you know, like Madden. That's my words, not his. And how the chemistry of the roster is considered with each move, like with Eli Apple. And I'm talking to Kyle Krabs of Lockdown Dolphins up in the stands ahead of practice about this and how each position group has a buddy, buddy type of relationship among it. And I'm sure it goes, you know, further than that. But just based off what we know, I mean, it sounds like Jerome Baker and David Long, based upon Monday's media have hit it off right away. We know about Zach and Christian. We saw X and Javon at the Pro Bowl a couple of years ago. Brandon and Deshaun Elliott back in that secondary having their Texas ties together. Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson are, are buddies. Tyreek Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are, are you know have become super close. Uh, Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips work out before practice every single day. Tua and Alec Ingle, like pretty much every group you look at, has that bond on this team. And the response of Tyreek, according to Chris Greer, about the Eli Apple acquisition said, that's my dog. Let's go. Yeah, go get him. So that's great to see. And obviously Tyreek is a smart guy when it comes to social and branding and all that because, you know, his playful tweet after the acquisition happened was, let's go or can't wait for practice tomorrow morning. Like, he knows what he's doing. But it's all about keeping this brotherhood together inside this building. And we all want to see the same thing. And those guys want to see the same thing as well. And with that, I really enjoyed this practice today. Let's go position by position and start with the group that I thought had the best day. It, it was either them or the edges, but the cubes, the quarterbacks. Let's start with this. Tua Tungavailoa touched on his off-season training, I thought, pretty in-depth for the first time about how he got stronger, and he looks a lot bigger this year, guys. 227 on the roster. Here's QB1 on his off-season training. Just a lot of heavier weights. Um, 
a lot more reps with the heavier weights, things like that. Um, but everything that I did this offseason entailed to what would keep me on the field for the entirety of a season. We understand that, you know, freaky things can happen. You know, it's football. It's a physical sport. Not everything that you prepare for is what you're going to get. So I did the best that I could that, um, you know, to get myself ready and prep for this season as far as injuries go. I don't know how you can be anything but encouraged by that. It sounds like, too, has really kind of taken ownership of his professionalism and, and, you know, his body and everything that goes into this performance. And I thought one of the things that stood out the most about his performance on Tuesday is something I've always been a fan of in his game. And I, I try to describe this the best way I can because I don't think it's necessarily something you can describe unless you kind of know how to do it in a way. It's the elasticity in his arm. I think it's the framework of what makes him the player that he is because it's part of a lot of the key elements of his game, the accelerated release that just not many other quarterbacks have in their game. And it's how he's able to throw accurately from all those different arm angles without the ability to step into a throw and still be able to put the ball in an accurate spot without losing, you know, your ball placement, whatever it might be. He has this uncanny knack for putting the football right on the mark, really from any position. And I thought it was interesting to hear him talk today about jujitsu training and how he's still working at it in terms of committing to muscle memory, because like, Malcolm Gladwell, right? When 10,000 hours, well, it got me thinking about Tua's life in football. And of course, on the podcast here, we have to relate it back to baseball and in my own baseball experience. And I was telling Kyle once again, I think it makes so much sense for quarterbacks to play middle infield because of the different, you know, arm angles you get from throwing the ball across the diamond, the different, you know, setups you have in your feet, whether it's going to the backhand and going to the forehand. And there's just different, you know, working around the second base in terms of double plays. Like you find, you have to find different ways to put the ball in the same location, but it's coming out of your arm or you're off your hand at a different arm angle from a different, you know, footwork position. It just kind of trains that muscle memory into a certain way. And when I was a kid, I spent every single day in my backyard and we had one of those nets where the upper net, you throw it to the high part of the net and it gives you a ground ball and you throw it at the bottom part of the net. It's elevated in a way that gives you back a fly ball. And I did that, you know, I didn't have, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have internet back in my day. Uh, you know, it wasn't on my cell phone the entire time. So I'd go play baseball in my backyard. And to this day, if you give me a baseball, I can whip that thing pretty damn good from any arm angle you want pretty accurately. We have a little signed Jarvis Landry football that the, they brought over from the stadium that was, I guess, hanging around out there in the cubicles. And we take a 10-minute break sometimes, me and, and a couple of guys from the production staff, and we throw the football around him. I can zing that thing, man, and it goes back to when I'm eight years old, basically. So the reason I'm telling you this is because, you know, Tua's documentary that came out during his rookie year talked about those days on the beach throwing the football with his dad, and you commit that muscle memory by doing it every day over and over again from a young age. And I just thought it was kind of a cool full circle moment from that concept and that thought to today watching him because he threw a few passes and he's done this in camp in general where his mechanics and stride, you know, can be down the middle and he's trying to shoot a deep cross or a deep over or, you know, come back to the opposite side of the field or whatever it might be. He whips that thing out to the perimeter without being aligned to that throw right on the money. And it's like clockwork. He does it over and over and over again and also helps hold the defense, which I think can mitigate some of the velocity that you maybe don't have from some of the top-of-the-line guys in terms of the arm strength. But you find ways to make up for that, and I think he does it in this way. It's it's like clockwork. It's accurate. It's on time every single time. And I thought Tua probably had his best day on Tuesday, and really there was only one day that I didn't think was that wasn't superb, and that was the day of the many sacks, which you'll hear more about what that actually means here in a minute. But I thought that he has solutions 
to the different looks that Vic and the defense gave him. I thought he replaced the blitz with the football time and time again in this practice. I thought he was just sharp processing things pre and post snap. And it tracked because this defense will challenge you and have answers to, to get to them quickly versus a variety of looks, right? Let's, let's actually go to Tua now and talk to him about practicing against this scheme and how Coach Fangio's defense is helping him get better as a quarterback. Very tough. It's very tough. It's hard to distinguish what's going to happen pre-snap and post-snap. I think Vic does a good job with his defense and aligning guys where they need to align and making everything look the same uh, for both run action, pass action. And I think what I see a lot more this time, um, this year, with the defense is there's a lot of communication. So I know everyone sees the camera that we have on our head. And when you watch, when, when we watch it, you know, we, we get to see when we're motioning, guys, there's a lot of communication going on in the back end and up front. It's a lot more than what I've seen the past couple of years. Let's keep it rolling here with this from QB1. And I, I love, 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 love this again because anytime I can verify what I'm saying on the podcast with Coach or with Tua or, you know, somebody that confirms what I'm talking about, well, that's a good day for your boy. Uh, validation's nice. Here's Tua on how they view practice, the process of growth, and getting ready for the season because – I know you're going to read a lot of reports about the results of practice. That's not what it's about. I, w- I would say the way we look at it is not result-based. It's, it's basically letting everyone finish with whatever technique they got. So regardless of if it was a sack, you know, our defense gives us the opportunity to continue to read it out, to extend plays. It also gives the guys in the back end an opportunity to continue to, you know, play within a, a broken down play or um, if – you know, quarterback escapes the pocket, you know, they're going to have to to move around and, and maneuver how they're going to cover guys. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily result-based, although there are uh, things that we have gotten corrected, um, you know, in every area, whether it's a blocking scheme, a route, how the guys are running the routes, how we're looking at reading certain routes, uh, our progressions in the plays, and where the checkdowns are, all of that. And I, I think it's it's really good when we're able to look at it like that and not, oh, I got sacked, like next play. I think that can be very instructive for how you might come out here and view a practice if you do come out to the Baptist Health Training Complex. Uh, I've also talked about the response to the response that we saw uh, late in the year last year for this offense, pretty much doing whatever it wanted for the first 10 or so weeks of the season, and then that lull against the two teams out in California, which was picked right back up, right? The Buffalo game was highly proficient for the offense, the Green Bay game too, until that fourth quarter, really. But we talk about you know, options in the screen game. We talk about the short, quick stuff to the perimeter to your speed guys, you know, Jalen or Tyreek on a hitch or a speed out or really anybody. But we talked about the wrinkle off of that with the wheels and pushing the you know, second level to fill that area with speedsters after lifting the top off the defense with the original speedsters. And I thought today was really the first time we saw the offense kind of go with solutions to the defense opposed to just rolling through a scripted series of plays that was not really cognizant of what the defense is doing, you know, almost not game planning, but having more of a feel for what you're looking at. And we saw it come together in a big way. Tua had a bunch of dimes down the field, and I love the way he throws the ball vertically from the short side of the field, you know, the the boundary to the perimeter and then when you're throwing field balls you know the wide side of the field put those balls in the far hash on the numbers on that side and we saw a good chunk of that today and some big completions to Alec Ingold to Jalen Waddle and the like the last thing here on Tua I thought he threw the ball on the move very very well thought he did a good job of feeling the pocket and just hitching up when he had to you know getting out either direction when he had to go left or right or even just when he's taking steps or you know footwork as part of his 
part of his work in the play pass and the path he takes on play action and how he gets into a throwing motion off of that. Really, really good day from number one all around. I also thought it was the best day of camp so far for Mike White, especially when we moved to the indoor facility. There was a throw he made where I was making my way across the practice field up to the platform where we watch practice with the media, and he threw a ball over the middle of the field into a window. And when you're down there and you see how fast it all moves and how much color and trash is just flashing in your eyes, you know, from my vantage point, much less the quarterback who's in the midst of all of it, legit a new appreciation for just how damn hard the job is. Like, I got it before, but now I think I get it even more because Mike White was so quick with processing and you have to just really kind of know what you're doing (laughs) to put the ball in certain locations against all the speed an NFL defense has. I thought he was super quick with the processor. I'd say things have kind of slowed down for him now in the second you know, three practice chunk here, you know, practice four, five, and six compared to one, two, and three, because he was in a groove putting the football in the right places at the right time. To me, there's a pretty clear gap between, you know, one and two, yeah, but two and three for sure. And I liked how all the quarterbacks today put receivers in positions to make plays, you know, identify the blitz, get the ball to the hot, and suddenly you've got Waddle or Tyreek or Ezukam or whoever in a one-on-one opportunity with a cornerback. And if they slip that tackle, it goes from a six-yard gain to maybe 20. And if it's Jalen Waddle, maybe 86 yards uh, out the gate. I think that's a good spot for our first break right there. But real quick before that, let's talk about some standouts in one-on-ones because, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's... It's worth talking about, but not worth breaking down too much, I don't think. I thought Cater continues to show you what he can do best. He's a sensational rep in this period against Chosen, where he pinned him to the sideline on a takeoff route and just gave Mike White no window to work with. Tyreek got X, where he stacked him and broke the route off to the inside, and Tua put the ball right on the upfield shoulder for an easy catch and run for touchdown. Uh, By the way, X never gets in the notes in camp because he just never gets tested. Like, they don't go after him. One-on-ones isn't really a fair fight. I I was hoping, you know, Ramsey would force some more balls over to X, but uh, he's just never in the team notes, and that's a good thing. Uh, Craycraft had the best catch of the period. Catch? Catch? Uh, with a back shoulder adjustment from Skylar Thompson. Javon Holland had a really good recovery on Braxton Berrios, who got on top of him on a ball from Tua, but it was slightly underthrown. Uh, Peeked over at the running backs and tight ends versus linebackers and safeties for a moment and saw Elijah Campbell get two pass breakups. Bryce Thompson as well. He's quietly had a very nice camp. And then finally, I watched a lot of the O-line versus D-line for the second straight day, and I thought Liam was very good once again, kind of putting together a good run here after a rough Friday practice. I thought Isaiah Wynn and Kendall Lamb were very good, and I thought Lamb was exceptional as a whole today. More on that after the break as we continue the practice notes and hear from more of the guys next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot 
go ahead and talk some O-line and start with Teron Armstead, who's back out at practice getting some work in. No team drills yet, but he has a plan in place to get out there on the field and get ready for that week one game. Let's go ahead and talk to Teron Armstead here about the plan to get him back on the field. Yeah, they got, they got a plan for me, program for me. Uh, just trying to stick with it. And uh, we're progressing, kind of going through uh, a little bit of a slow progression in my opinion, but uh, I'm not arguing or, or combating. You know, I'm here to play, so love to get out there and, and compete. I'm also year 11, and I've been through 10 training counts before, so uh, it's a little bit of a balance. Let's go right back to T-Stead here. We talked about getting to this stage in your career and how you're still adding to your tool belt. I wanted to ask him this question because he does so much to teach younger players and really take part in, and just, you know, I suppose, grooming the next generation of offensive linemen and, and getting guys to his level and the way he teaches. And we'll hear about that here more uh, from, I think, Emmanuel Ogba, who talks about the way he teaches other guys in the offensive line room. But here's Teron Armstead and how he takes the offseason to learn even more about his own game. No, for sure, for sure. I think that's uh, why I've been able to do it for, for a long time is continue to evolve and, and add tools to my toolbox. Um, I, learned, I learned things from... First year, second year players, just 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 by watching, just by just by watching it. Um, think of the the cool thing about O line play is like we got all the answers on film, you know. So you can go back and see, all right, what what do guys do to combat this move or combat this stunt or you know what I mean. So you got the answers on film, so you go back and watch it and you try to go execute. So try to add more tools to the toolbox. Let's actually go ahead and use one more soundbite here from T-Stead to help us get a better feel for Butch Berry, New Dolphins offensive line coach, and the coaching points up front. And we've now, you know, we, we've known this going back to last year with Mike McDaniel uh, coming over from San Francisco, how they want to fire off the football and play fast that way. I think we saw a lot of that today. Let's go ahead and allow Teron Armstead to explain for us. Um, speed, velocity off the ball, uh, Controlling the line of scrimmage, we want to we want to dominate and dictate that 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 line of scrimmage as much as as much as possible. Um, and we do that. We we knock people off the the ball a yard or two. Uh, we got a great chance to win a lot of games. Not the best run play of the day was a block well executed by Rob Jones and Jerron Christian, and then a really good seal block from River Craycraft to spring Chris Books on a 95-yard touchdown run. The rookie weaved his way through the gap and then hit the gas in the offense. This was during a drill that was continuous for the first time in all of camp. Like, they don't return the football back to the original spot. It, it, if you get 12 yards, the ball goes 12 yards down the field, and you continue the drive from there. And so you get offense on one side, defense on the other. And the offense ran down the field with Chris Brooks as he's running to the end zone. And who was leading the way besides QB1 to Atunga Vailoa, who said, yeah, he was running pretty fast. That was awesome to see at the end of the press conference. So on the offensive line, Rob Hunt, to me, is good every single damn day. I thought Rob Jones had his best day. I thought Dan Feeney also had his best day, really getting after it with some of his best work in, in the entire camp, uh, particularly in the run game, getting push consistently throughout practice. I mentioned Kendall Lamb. I'm pretty excited about what I've seen from him in his past sets. I think that there's a chance that he could be a right tackle, man. He has a chance to you know, potentially crack the lineup if he keeps going the way he's going. He's really adept at getting a quick kick slide that puts him in position to, you know, process the pass rush, allows him to keep getting depth around the arc or to redirect inside. I just kind of feel like your best option might be a sturdy veteran to, to help, you know, both edges for two. And Tehran and Kendall Lamb's a lot of experience out there and guys that have almost, what, 20 years combined experience. He had a really good day of work today. I thought James Tunstall and Ryan Hayes had their best days, the seventh-round draft pick and UDFA that I think both have the makeup to play in this league. 
At tight end, Julian Hill had some impressive work in the running game, and Durham Smythe, I think, caught the most passes I've seen today of, of any day, at three or four by my count for Durham Smythe. Uh, Waddle at receiver was just the man. He, he caught a billion balls for two billion yards, does that every single day. Just the way he feels space when it's zone and kind of knows when to accelerate and decelerate into certain spots of the field. The plan that he has when it's man coverage with his release packages, he ran one route against outside leverage, which tries to wall off the outside part of the field, and he still won to that part of the field. That's like the thing to look for for receivers and route running. Can you get where they don't want you to go and win and get a catch? With him, it's emphatically a yes. On one of the first plays of the day, Tyreek caught a quick hitter from Mike White, like a little slant, catch rock throw slant. And I'm pretty sure it was an 86-yard touchdown with 80 of those yards coming after the catch. I don't think anybody was going to catch him, and he was kind of splitting some of those soft zones they were throwing at him today. Daywood Davis made some plays in the one-on-ones that I think show you the build and burst combo that he offers and makes him an intriguing player. Uh, looking at Chosen Anderson, just hasn't really been that involved in the team period. If I had to guess right now, I think your top options based on performance between, or I should say beyond 10 and 17, would be Ezukama, Berrios, Craycraft, and Wilson for me in that order, but what the hell do I know? Uh, flipping it over to the defense here, let's go ahead and kick this off with Jalen Phillips, who delivered an important message to us at the start of his press conference. Uh, I know I spoke to a few guys yesterday, but real quick, I just wanted to make a little announcement. So um, DCC registration opens today. Um, it's going to be, I think it's the 14th annual, the 14th annual. Um, so it's going to be on February 24th of next year. Uh, obviously, DCC is a, an amazing cause um, doing cancer research for Sylvester. And um, you know, all of us have either been affected directly or have had a loved one, somebody they know affected by cancer. So if you guys could spread the word for me, I'll be serving as a board member for the second consecutive year and obviously participating in the ride this year as well. Um, so a lot of fun things happening, a lot of money going to, um, to a great cause. So if you guys could help share that information, that would be great why you decided to join the board and why it's so important to you? Yeah, so I mean, me personally, I've had several family members um, both die and be affected by cancer. Um, and so for me, it was important to join the board. I think it's a great initiative. And um, to be able to, you know, represent my team and, and show what the Dolphins do as a community and, and you know, the, the efforts that we make, uh, it was just important for me to do. So it's, it's really the least I can do, honestly. Going back to a question that was posed to Jalen about something Mike McDaniel had mentioned. And I think that Phillips is maybe having the best camp of anybody at that position and a group that might have the best overall position group so far through six practices. And, you know, McDaniel mentioned that something about the edges and how tough they make things on the offense and how they're difficult to prepare for because they can do really anything they want. And we'll talk about Chubb and, and Phillips here in just a second. But JP also gave us full circle commentary here. Let's go ahead and hear from JP on just that. Uh, I mean, not whatever we want, you know, saying there's there's limitations, obviously, but I think... Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think there's obviously a little bit of freedom um, within, you know, the constraints of our defense. And um, I think that's one really cool thing about, you know, this year being able to use our athleticism and um, really just attack them in different ways. I would also say the same thing for our offense, too. I mean, not that they can do whatever they want, but they're very multiple. And so, you know, it gives us a lot of challenging looks and really trains our eyes. Just continue to be so impressed with both the person and the player here with Jalen Phillips, but also how the edges in these practices have been so solidified so consistently in the running game, especially between 15 and two and the way they operate together. It looks so intentional in the system for how they've gotten things funneled back inside to a group of linebackers who are fast, instinctive and explosive. You just kind of see 11 guys playing together. We heard Tua talk about communication earlier that kind of tracks that way. Uh, more on that on a big day from Channing Tindall later on. But perhaps my favorite development from camp so far has been Bradley Chubb working in space 
and playing backwards. We know what he can do from a rusher, run defender standpoint, but with all these athletic quarterbacks who can, you know, mitigate immediate pass rush wins by sidestepping and then going sandlot ball, I think the Dolphins have an answer for those quarterbacks trying to burn you in the way that Fields did last year or the way that Josh Allen tends to do. We have those classic Vic three down, you know, fronts with a true five man front with the outside linebackers coming up that we've seen over the years. You know, you just never know who's coming and who's dropping, and they can get a spy roll from one of those five because you bring four true pass rushers and drop one into a spy. And with Chubb and Phillips both working in coverage but also playing a spy, I think you kind of erase the athletic ability of the quarterback because both those guys can match the athletic ability of those quarterbacks. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Phillips in the segment that I think says a lot about the kind of person and ultimately the player that JP is. You know, I mentioned my themes earlier in the podcast, and one of those was how close JP was to double-digit sacks last year, and maybe even closer to the teens, like 15 than, than it was 10. Uh, like the, eight, the Week 18 game, for instance, Joe Flacco had the lowest average time to throw in the league by a player all year in that one game. And our cornerback room was so banged up, and I think that contributed to Phillips having potential sacks, maybe even game-changing strip sacks turn into quarterback hits, which are good, but they do not impact the game the way sacks do. But rather than just say, well, the coverage will probably be better, so that's all I have to do to get better this year, JP said, no, I can do things to make it better on my own right. Here's Jalen Phillips. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm trying to keep improving, honestly, but one thing I've been working on this offseason is just, you know, keeping on my hands, on my technique in general, on my bend, top of the rush, things like that. Um, you know, this, this game is really a game of inches, and I think a lot of my pressures last year, if I had just been a little bit better with my hips, with my hands, with my feet, that could have turned those into sacks. Um, so that's something I'm, you know, steady trying to improve on and, you know, try to be a technician, uh, really master the art of pass rushing. And there he goes. Let's go ahead and finish up on the other side of the break and hear from Emmanuel Ogba and Deshaun Elliott. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time visit picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings that's p-a-c-a-s-o.com picking it back up for segment number three on a tuesday august the first let's go ahead and stay with that edge group and emmanuel ogba who was asked about durham smythe's comments earlier this week about how tough that edge group is to deal with on a daily basis and the question was put to e-man just how good can you guys be as good as good as we want to be, um, you know, we have definitely a bunch of talented rushers. You know, we got outside, inside. You know, uh, Christian doing his thing. You know, or Zach doing his thing. Raekwon even rushing good too. Uh, you know, uh, we all can rush at different positions. Speaking of those guys, Christian Wilkins had a Christian Wilkins day. He's been so consistent all camp long. So is Zach. Zach made some plays in the running game where I thought he was good back and forth in terms of the O and the defense winning in the interior running game. Uh, let's talk about the linebackers here and start with David Long because Emmanuel Ogba gave us some insight into how good David Long's been playing and what he's meant to this defense so far six days through camp. 
Oh, he's a good leader for us. He's fast, fast off the ball. Uh, he moves very well. Uh, like I'll say, well, yesterday he had a one play. He just came down. He, he dipped on Liam, came down here and smacked the running back. And uh, we like that from our uh, linebacker, especially the D line. You know, we want to want those guys to come get those double teams off of us. So, so long leads the way. But there's a theme with these linebackers, man. Like, gosh, they're good. I, I mentioned the strong edges we've been getting, you know, from our guys, the, the strong edges in the running game we've been getting from the guys outside. It really puts a spotlight on the speed we have on the inside because Long has been doing it all through the first week, flowing through those wide runs, finding the right gap, shooting it clean, and tagging off for a big play. But today, Channing Tindall was one of the guys that I thought kind of won the day. Like, his speed is shining, and we knew that he had that, but... I think another year in the league has allowed him to really access that speed and, and get downhill without having to think so much compared to what you might have seen you know, a year ago. Uh, he's not late to the party. He's not overrunning stuff. I just really like what I've seen from this group in, in terms of both the top-end guys and the depth you might have this year. And also, Aubrey Miller, the rookie, has made some plays as well. Let's go ahead and finish up on the back end of the podcast here with Deshaun Elliott, who I've been noticing right around the football at the catch point the last few days, including a play where Tua fired one to Ingold downfield for about 30 or so yards. And Elliott was right there for what could have been a big pop based upon what we saw from him in Detroit and Baltimore alike. Um, of course, we take care of our own guys here, so no hit there. But he's consistently put himself in position to impact the catch point and the football right away. We talked to Deshaun Elliott about what he's noticed from this Dolphins defense. Uh, I would say it's very complex. Um, if you're not working, striving, stri- striving to be great, then you won't be able to play on this defense. Um, you know, we're still trying to get the kinks out of it. But every day, trying to get better at 1%, so we'll be okay. Um, I think it's a safety-led defense. and. We're going to keep working our butts off to be the best version of ourselves as we can. Deshaun's a character, a very fun interview every single time he gets to the podium. So go check him out if you have not done so uh, on the team YouTube channel already. Uh, let's see. We had Javon Holland in the orange jersey. Man, this dude is, is really, really good. He worked with the corners in one-on-one today, which I think speaks to his ability to, to be in coverage. He's making plays you know, in reg- with regularity in that regard, but also coming down and fitting the run from depth. I think he's kind of a chess piece that you have in that backfield you know, to kind of replace what Ramsey could have been for you with all the things that he can do. And Deshaun Elliott told us he thinks that Javon Holland has a chance to be a breakout player of the year this year and move his way in the top 100 list, all that fun stuff. He also said that he's learned a lot from Deshaun his time here, even though he's a younger player which is really cool to hear and I think that's a great place to end it right there so uh, fun stuff from the from the entire roster it's been a fun six days so far take Wednesday off come back on Thursday and remember Dolphins DCC registration opens today for the event on February 24th 2024 if you have not been out there before it's a great time for a great cause I'd love to see you guys come join us all this year for more information and to register visit www.dolphinschallengecancer.com do it go do it right now Also, that's the end of the podcast. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Subscribe, rate, review the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get the podcast from. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins on Instagram as well. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with my guys Seth and Juice. The AJ Francis episode is live. Go check it out. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, all that fun stuff and a heck of a lot more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. You can find the written camp report from yours truly up there, as well as all the photos and camp content we have. Until next time, fins up, Carolina and Cameron, Daddy's coming home.